0: the rest of you for coming out tonight and leading us. Thank you. Uh, good evening. It's so good to see uh, all of you have come out tonight for this uh, fifth of six of our monthly previous services. Uh, my name is Kyle. For those of you who don't uh, know me, I'm the the one who belongs to the um, uh, the sleep-deprived, socially anxious, over-simulated person. Five-year-old keeps running up and down the aisles. That's who uh, that's, belongs to me. And I really hope you can come out to our our next uh, service, our next one on March 1st, and then starting Easter Sunday, we'll be meeting each week, hopefully. I want to talk to you tonight about getting old and dying. That's our, our cheery way forward tonight. I know that for some of you, I have very little credibility to talk about that. I'm 36, going on 37 years old. Still in the young category as most people define it, I I think, or or at least I hope. Uh, For what it's worth, um, I am grayer than most of the people my age. I do have lines on my face that didn't used to be there. And to be perfectly honest with you, I, I think about death and aging a lot more than I used to. I live kind of far from my family, so I see them a few times a year, a handful of times a year. But when I do, and I hope they don't listen to this online later, but when I see their faces now, I don't see the faces, or the middle-aged faces of my memory. I see grandparent faces. And it's really strange. It's, it's unsettling, to be honest with you. I, I don't want it to be that way. There's a Bob Dylan song that a lot of you might know: Forever Young. I have a cover of the song on my Spotify playlist. I tend to like the, the Dylan covers more than the originals. The, you know, the scratchy voice is, isn't for me, no offense to you Dylan fans. But here's one of the verses from this song, which Dylan wrote for his son May your hands always be busy, may your feet always be swift, may you have a strong foundation when the winds of changes shift. May your heart always be joyful, may your song always be sung. And may you stay forever young. Those are beautiful words. They just can't be true. Barring a tragedy, if you're young now, you will not stay forever young. You're going to get old and die. So how do you face that? How do you move away from fear or nostalgia or just covering your eyes and wishing it wasn't true? How do you face growing old And dying. Well, here's what the writer of Ecclesiastes says. He he calls himself the preacher. Here's what the preacher says. So this is Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 11, verse 7, reading through chapter 12, verse 8. And if you want to follow along on those blue Bibles in the pews, you can find that on page 559. So chapter 11, verse 7, page 559. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They're afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver, silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the will broken at the cistern. And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. So you're going to get old and and die. And tonight, I want to talk to three kinds of people. To those of you who are still young, to those of you who aren't dead yet, and to those of you who are willing to hear what God has to say to you. So if you're, you're going to get old and die, and if you're young, first of all, you need to remember that you're not always going to be. That's the preacher's point in chapter 11, verses 7 through 10. He's, he's praising the pleasures of youth, and it seems clear that he's saying this from the other end of youth. He's, he's not young anymore. So he's looking back at, at what he used to have. And he says, if that's you, if you're young, enjoy what you have. You don't know how good you've got it. It's it's like the, the sweetness of the light of the sun, he says in verse seven. It's like it's like when, when warmth and sunshine come to Chicago in the spring and in April or May or whenever it ends up happening, and, and a lot of us just kinda go outside and just you know, expose as much of our bodies to the sun as we can, like, like we're on drugs or something. It's because that's how good it feels. That's what, that's what being young feels like, he says. So rejoice in, in those years, he says. Walk in the ways of your heart and your eyes, verse 9 says. Which means follow your heart. Go, go after what looks good and feels good. And verse 10, put away worry and pain. That's, that's all for, for old age. You're not there yet. Don't, don't have that. You, you've got it really good. Enjoy it. Have fun with it. But, there's a but, It's not going to last. He says in verse 8 to remember. Remember that the days of darkness will be many. If you're young, you're basking in the sunlight, but darkness is coming. Remember that. And everything that's coming is vanity. One scholar says that in one sense that the writer is immediately contradicting himself on purpose. Have fun. Enjoy it. But you can't, not, not really, because at the same time you should enjoy it, you need to remember that it's not going to last. I remember in high school a teacher saying to us that all you've ever known is youth. You have no experience of anything but being young. So the preacher says to people who have no experience of anything but youth, you need to remember that, that what you know now is not how it's always going to be. Bill Bryson, a humorist and travel writer, was visiting some tourist site in England. And an old lady started talking to him. And he wondered, why is this old lady just talking to me? And then he said that he remembered that he was now a respectable-looking, middle-aged man. He said, oh yeah, I'm, I'm middle-aged. At some point, I'm at the point where people assume I'm responsible. When did that happen? It's going to happen. Stephen King has written from the perspective of late middle age, of what he was like when he was 19. He says that 19 was when a lot of his explosive creativity started first germinating. But listen to how he describes himself as a 19-year-old kid. He says, 19 is a selfish age and finds one's cares tightly circumscribed. I had a lot of reach, and I cared about that. I had a lot of ambition, and I cared about that. I had a typewriter that I carried from one lousy apartment to the next, always with a deck of smokes in my pocket and a a smile on my face. The compromises of middle age were distant, the insults of old age over the horizon. Like the Bob Seger song now used to sell the trucks, I felt endlessly powerful and endlessly optimistic. My pockets were empty, but my head was full of things I wanted to say and my heart was full of stories I wanted to tell. It sounds corny. Felt wonderful then. Felt very cool. And I felt I could do those things. I felt I had been made to do those things. But then, King says, he got old. And he calls the experience of aging patrol boy. This really cruel cop, as it were, who's going to hunt you down sooner or later. Patrol boy comes and gets you, and there's nothing you can do about it. So what's the lesson, according to Stephen King, if you're 19 years old? Live it up, King says. Make the most of it. He says, I I still think that's a pretty fine age, maybe the best age. You can rock and roll all night, but when the music dies out and the beer wears off, you're able to think and dream big dreams. The mean patrol boy cuts you down to size eventually, and if you start out small, why, there's almost nothing left but the cuffs of your pants when he's done with you. So a little arrogance, or even a lot, isn't such a bad thing, although your mother undoubtedly told you different. And if you're reading this happen um, to be very young, don't let your elders or supposed betters tell you any different. If you don't start out too big for your britches, how are you going to fill them up when you grow up? Let it rip regardless of what anybody tells you. That's my idea. Sit down and smoke that, baby. (laughs) You're going to get old. Patrol boy's going to get you. So be 19. Have fun. Be an idiot. Try to conquer the world before it's too late. And I think the writer of Ecclesiastes would agree with King for a lot of that, except one point. King says, you're going to get old, so have fun while you're young. But Ecclesiastes says, you're going to get old, and that's going to make all the wonderful things about being young ultimately pointless. He's a lot more pessimistic than Stephen King. So if you're young, remember that you're not always going to be what does that, what's that really mean? It means for you who are young, that if what makes you happy now, if what makes your life matter now, if that's not going to be possible for you in 20 years or 40 years or however long it takes, then you would be wise to find something to base your happiness and your life significance on something that's not going to abandon you one day. In other words, if who you are and what makes you tick is bound up so tightly in what you, what you can only do when you're young, like the, the bar scene with, with friends on a Friday night or your sexual vitality or, or working such ridiculous hours that only 20-somethings can pull off, if, if that's what makes your world go round, then you need to know that one day you are going to lose all those things. So don't base your happiness, don't base your value, don't base your meaning on what you are going to lose sooner than you think. So if you're young, remember that you're not always going to be. Second, if you're not dead yet, remember your creator before you are. This point was raised in chapter 11, verse verse 9. Follow your heart when you're young, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. And then in chapter 12, he takes up that theme again. He says in verse 1 of chapter 12, Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. And then in the, to the rest of the section, and what's the most beautiful and the, the saddest part of this book, he paints a picture of getting old and dying. Let me, let me try to briefly explain the imagery in these verses Getting old, verse 2 says, is like all the lights of the world, the, the sun and the moon and the stars, all the lights going out. It's like darkness. And verse 3, getting old is like a house decaying and, and all the, the workers of the house stopping the work. And verse 4, it's like all the sound outside going silent. You can't hear it. In the first part of verse 5, it's, it's, it's fear of what's high and tears along the way. Of, everything gets scarier, in other words, when you're aging. I remember my grandmother, as she was declining in Alzheimer's, uh, she came over to the house one evening, or someone picked her up and brought her over to our house. And after a while, a, a terrifying question came into her mind. How am I going to get back home? And if you've ever been with someone with Alzheimer's or dementia, you know what those conversations are like. Those saying the same things over and over again. And she kept asking me, how am I going to get home? And I kept telling her, we're going to, we're going to take you home, just like we, we, we picked you up. There's nothing to worry about. But it wouldn't stick. So she was afflicted with this, this terrible fear. How am I going to get home? That's what age is like. It's frailty that becomes an open door to fear. Then in verse 5, there are images from the natural world of decline. Uh, almond tree blossoms. It's probably an image of white hair. Uh, a grasshopper dragging itself along, like, like, a, like an old body shuffling along a lot slower than it used to go. And desire fails, it says. That, 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 that sexual desire, that's, that's part of the deal, too. That goes. The writer and counselor, Paul Tripp, says that going from youth to middle age is like going from an astronaut to an archaeologist. He says, a young person tends to think like an astronaut, always looking upward, outward, and forward. With the majority of life ahead, it seems as if the sky is the limit. Even if you haven't fulfilled all of your dreams, there's still plenty of time. But in midlife, you stop living like an astronaut and start acting more like an archaeologist you start you spend time digging through the mound of your existence you look through the pottery shards of past situations relationships and achievements trying to make sense of your life and he says that when you turn into an archaeologist at middle age you've got to face three things you've got to face physical aging because you have less energy you need more sleep you need to be more careful about what you eat and getting exercise but it's not just physical, it's you've got to fa- also face the death of your dreams. Because once when you were younger, when you thought about the future, almost certainly what you envisioned then is not exactly how your life has panned out. Many of your dreams are just dead. The third thing you've got to face, Tripp says, is regret. You look back and there's so much you wish you could go back and do all over again, but, but you can't. That's, that's coming into middle age. And then it just keeps going until you're here in the evil days. Like most of you, I, I watched the Super Bowl last week. And like most of you, I watched it more for the commercials than the game itself. And the commercial that stuck with me the most was the Google commercial of the old widower telling Google to remember all the things about his wife. Um, some of you might have wept during that commercial. Now, I'm usually the luddite in the room. I, I'm not the I'm not the latest technology kind of guy. And and as much as I use Google, it's probably evil. But I was really touched by how this old man, losing his memory, slowly forgetting the love of his life, could use technology to help him remember. Because on his own, he wouldn't be able to do that much longer. It was all. Falling apart. And then the change in the section from old age to death. It's like verse six says, these beautiful, expensive treasures, gold and silver breaking. That's what happens in death. This this beautiful, expensive human body breaking. Or it's like it's like the apparatus of a water well falling apart. If, if there's no water, there's, there's no life and in, 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 in that culture. If there's no functioning well, there's no water. That's what dying's like. It's like the water getting turned off. And finally, in verse 7, he goes from imagery to just the brute fact of it. The dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to the God who gave it. Maybe you've heard this language at, at funerals, you know, dust to dust, ashes to ashes. The evil days are coming, the preacher says. Old age and death are coming. And it's not pretty. There's nothing romanticized about any of it here. So he says, remember your creator before you get there. If you're not dead yet, even if you're not old yet, and you still got plenty of years ahead of you, remember your creator before those days come. There's a character in Hemingway's book, Farewell to Arms, an old man, and he says that when he was younger, he thought that when he got older, he would become more religious. But to his surprise, that hasn't happened. He's just as unbelieving and as secular as he ever was. And so Ecclesiastes is saying you're not going to slip into some kind of piety when you get older. Some people might drift that way, but it's not automatic that it's going to happen. G- getting older is not a, a movement of inertia into faith. So this is an act of things telling you. Before you think you might slip into something, remember your creator. Now, for some people, his point doesn't have a lot of bite to it because you just don't believe it. He's saying, you're going to die, you're going to return to the one who made you, God's going to bring you into judgment for what you've done, especially for, even for what you were, for when you were younger. So remember your creator now, before it's, it's too late. And some people think that that's just not true. Or maybe you're not, you're not so sure that it's true. In Cormac McCarthy's novel, All the Pretty Horses, two teenage cowboys run away from home, uh, they've got nothing from them at home, so they, they, they try to make something new for themselves somewhere else. And one night, out in the desert, by the campfire, looking up at the starlight, just shooting the bull, thinking about all, all these big thoughts. And one of them asks the other, you think there will be a day when the sun won't rise? And his friend says, yeah, Judgment Day. When do you think that'll be? Whenever he decides to hold it. Judgment Day, the first one says. You believe in all that? I don't know yeah I reckon you I don't know, maybe, and maybe you're ambivalent like that you 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 don't know, or maybe you're pretty firmly settled that that none of it's true, that there's no creator to worry about, there's no judgment to worry about, so just just live your life. So what should you make of this if you're not sure about a creator? Well, the novelist Francis Bufford, who's a christian, says. I don't know if there's a God, and neither does Richard Bloody Dawkins. And I agree with them. There are all kinds of reasons I believe in God, but I can't really prove it, and I don't think that you can disprove it. But if that's how you lean, or someone that you know leans that way, and you're wondering, how do I talk about these things? Uh, listen to this. This is what Michael Rhoda says. He's a philosopher at the University of St. Thomas in Minnesota. He says, I wonder whether you've had an experience I sometimes have, a vague and sense deep down that my life has a purpose, that there is something, that there's something or things that I am meant to do. This thought naturally suggests an argument. If humans are the accidental result of blind physical forces, which is what a secular scientific worldview says, then my life doesn't have a purpose. But my life does have a purpose. In other words, an atheistic worldview says that that my life should have no purpose. I'm just, I'm cosmically insignificant. And yet, it sure doesn't feel that way to me. I can't prove that my life has purpose, but that's how I feel. And I want to suggest to you that the way you feel is more than just wishful thinking. It's actually a sign that you're not a cosmic accident. You are a creature in the best sense of the word. You were created. So remember your creator. If you're not dead yet, remember your creator. If you're young and you're an astronaut, or if you're, you're, you're starting to turn into an archaeologist, or even if you're well into the evil days of old age, remember your creator Wherever you are now, it's a challenge and an invitation to live as if he is real, as if he matters. Remember him. So you're going to get old and die. Barring a tragedy, you're going to get old and die. So if you're young, remember that you're not always going to be. If you're not dead yet, remember your Creator before you are. One more point. If you're, if you're willing to hear... No matter how old you are, remember that your creator remembers you first. Scholars say that the writer of Ecclesiastes, the preacher, is he's, he's theologically orthodox. He's within the bounds. He's just not very happy about it. <laughs> so when he says, remember your creator, he's not speaking about his creator with a lot of affection. And when he says that your spirit is going to return to the God who gave you gave your spirit, it, it's not a very hopeful and encouraging thing for him. He's orthodox. He, he's, he's not heretical. But his knowledge of God doesn't get very warm and personal for him. So what else can we say? How can you turn this remembering this that's sobering into a remembering that's hopeful? The way you do this is by remembering that He remembers you first. In Psalm 103, the psalmist says, As for man, his days are like, are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and his place knows it no more. That, that, that's, what, that's what life is like. It's very quick. It, it blooms and then it withers. And this is what God says to withering people like us He says, as a father shows compassion to those who fear him, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He knows your frame. He knows your weakness. This, that, that beautiful and sad portrait in Ecclesiastes of, of getting old and dying, he knows that. He remembers that. And it's a very personal experiential knowledge for him. You know Jesus did not grow old and die, but he did die. And the indignities of old age for him were masked by the indignities of the cross. If growing old forces upon you the loss of your bodily faculties, Jesus lost control over his own body when soldiers nailed him down, held him down, and nailed him to the cross. And if old age is beset with fear and sadness, Jesus went through every misery and heartbreak when everyone abandoned him, and he went to die alone. If old age and death are the evil days, as the writer of Ecclesiastes says, then Jesus went through the darkest, most evil day in human history when the innocent son of God was executed as a slave. And he did it for you. God loved you and sent his only son. He remembered you and sent his son, Jesus, to die for you. And so when you remember him now, When the pleasures of youth are your everything, or when those pleasures are long gone, but when you remember him now, that remembering isn't just sobering. It's not something to spoil your fun now. When you remember the one who remembers you first, it means that now you have a reason for hope instead of despair. Your body will fall apart on you, but he remembers you. Your memory will go, but his memory doesn't. And when you have a reason for hope, you have a reason to find what the pleasures of youth, that at the end of the day, they're just poor substitutes for true happiness and significance. Because it's in your creator who remembers you, and in Jesus who died for you, that you can have a happiness and a significance that can outlast any bodily transition you go through. If you're willing to hear, remember that your creator remembers you first. I don't know how many years I have left in me, but it's something that I I do think a lot about. And maybe you do do too, or at least you should think about that. You're going to get old and die. You've got to face that. If you're young, especially if you're a fair bit younger than me, aging can be like a, a foreign language to you that there's nothing in your experience to compare it with. And if you're older than me, then you probably have good reason to think that that's exactly true for me too. But whatever you, wherever you are on your path, evil days are coming. Remember that. Remember that you can't look for your life's meaning and, what's go, and what you're going to lose sooner than you think. And before those evil days come, if they haven't come yet, remember your creator. You will return to him. And most of all, you who are just dust. Remember that he remembers that you are just dust. He remembers and knows and loves through his son, Jesus. So however old you are, remember him. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you that you remember us, that you remember us when we're young, you remember us when we're old. So help us to remember you and trust you not looking to our youth or or good health to comfort us and satisfy us, but looking for that, looking for all those things to you alone. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.